you're excited to be here this morning. I am. Um, but I can honestly say it didn't used to be that way. Uh, Easter is probably my favorite, if not one of my favorite holidays, outside of the token Christian holidays, 4th of July, is because things explode. But um, the, the, uh, the idea of, of Easter is, uh, is so much bigger to me now than it used to be. And I, I don't know about you guys, um, if you had to choose your favorite token Christian holiday, I, I would be willing to bet most people would choose Christmas. Uh, the reason for that is because you get things. And um, not only do you get things, but the, the world promotes Christmas for a full month, at least, unless you go to Hobby Lobby, which right after 4th of July is when they put all their Christmas trees up. But the, the idea of, of Christmas is so heavily promoted. You have radio stations, uh, both Christian radio stations and non-Christian radio stations that are playing Christmas music with Christian lyrics mixed into it. That's what makes Christmas great. And you push it for an entire month, and then it goes and goes, what's Easter get? I mean, it gets Ash Wednesday, like 40 days prior to, and then it kind of just fades in, and you eat fish on Fridays, and then next thing you know, you're you're here. But it's so much more than that. See, back in the day, uh, when when I was a kid, Easter was just that time we went to church. Um, maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. It was Christmas. It was church, Easter church. It's called CEO. You're a Christmas, Easter only church person. That's okay. You have to start somewhere, right? And, and that's, that's where we are even today. There's people kind of everywhere. And there are people that are going to church. They're packing in churches all over the United States, all over the world. And they're hearing a message today that hopefully isn't just that same thing they hear every time. Jesus was born on Christmas. Jesus was raised again from the dead after dying on Easter. It's so much more than that. See, like I said, when I was a kid, it was just kind of one of those days we did things. We went to church because it was obligatory. It made my grandparents happy. That's why we went. I've been there. I understand that. And we would go over to my grandparents' house afterwards, after making them happy, and we would celebrate Easter. But we wouldn't really celebrate Easter so much as we would just celebrate together as a family. And that celebration um, would really kind of start before we went to church. Not all my um, family were heavy church members, but they did like to celebrate. And so they would, they would celebrate in the morning while we were at church, and we would get there, and they'd been celebrating a little bit. So there they might have been a little bit off by the time we got there. And uh, I, have, I have one story I'd like to share with you about Easter, um, which is part of the reason why before it wasn't exactly my favorite thing to do, because you have those family members that aren't exactly your favorite people to hang out with, but because of Easter, you have to. Um, we went to my grandparents' house, and Christy and I were dating at this point in time, and um, we might have even been married, actually. And uh, we, uh, yeah, I, I was trying to put this whole thing in, but I'm not going to mention it in case she's listening online, but one of my relatives, um, who had been celebrating Easter, uh, decided she was going to make deviled eggs. And I love deviled eggs. As a matter of fact, Christy yesterday uh, made deviled eggs, and I said, these aren't going to fit on the tray, so go ahead and let me have those. I ate those most of the, That was most of my meal yesterday was deviled eggs. But um, uh, I love deviled eggs, and, and uh, part of the recipe for deviled eggs includes mayonnaise. She somehow mixed up mayonnaise with horseradish. And I am, a, I am a deviled egg popper. I don't take a bite of a deviled egg. I put the whole thing in my mouth because they fit. Okay, that's just the way, that's the way God created it, and that's the way it happens. So I take the whole thing, and I put it in. And somebody said, be careful. There's something wrong with the deviled eggs. I'm like, how can you mess up deviled eggs? It's not possible. So I put the whole thing in, and that first crunch down, my nose begins to run. 
and my eyes began to water. And that horseradish is just burning from the inside out, and I cannot believe it. And these are the things that I remember about Easter. These are one of the reasons why Easter was not my favorite holiday. That's the reason why Christmas was. And the thing is, is as I've gotten older and as I've become uh, just a little bit more understanding of what Easter is, Easter's so much more than just a typical religious event that we go to church for. It is so much bigger than that because we have this idea of religion, okay? Uh, it, maybe you are exploring Christianity. Maybe you don't care anything about Christianity. Maybe you've been doing the Christian thing for your entire life. Christianity does not fall into religion. And I know that might be like, what? Hang on a second. I thought that, let me explain, okay? See, religion happened to fill a gap religions happen to fill a gap. And when I say that, there's a gap that is out there, and it's between the undeniable and the unexplainable. And religion helps fill that gap. There's a gap between the unanswerable and the things that we need answers to, and religion has filled that gap. And that's how ancient religions popped up all over time. Many, many of them filled in the gap. You know, you have the idea of there's a storm coming and lightning came from the sky. How does that happen? The undeniable that there's going to be lightning to the unexplainable, where does lightning come from? So they came up with a guy named Zeus who threw lightning bolts and got mad at people, and that's what he did. Then you take the idea of the seasons. Seasons are going to change. Crops are going to grow. Crops are going to die. Locusts are going to come every once in a while. How do you explain that? How do you explain those things? And as you look at that, they said, well, there must be a God that's over this harvest, and there must be a God over the winter, and there must be, and we pray to those, and that's what they did. These things came up. Well, the problem is, is science came along and dismantled a lot of those beliefs. Science came along and said, no, see, that's not Zeus getting mad at you. That's air particles colliding in the air and all kinds of crazy stuff happening, and out comes this electric, and it's awesome. You know, I would like to explain it to you, but we don't have time. The, the, and, and I don't have the knowledge. Both of those are true. But the thing is, is science came along and it did that. You look at people, that would, they would see a child that was sick, and they would think they were demon-possessed. There was something wrong with them. But really, all it was was a thing called a germ. And, and it was completely new. And people would look and say, wait a second, you mean we don't have to take them to a witch doctor and get them all waved over with certain things like this? No, no, all you have to do is get them my antibiotics and it'll be fine. See, religion filled that gap. And like I said, there was this undeniable but unexplainable. Also, there was the unanswerable. See, we as human beings, we want the answers to our questions. It's been that way since the beginning of time. And if I went to a doctor tomorrow because I wasn't feeling well, and the doctor looked at me and said, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly how you would respond to that, but my guess is you'd say, well, I look like I need to go get another doctor. Because so you're not going to be like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. That's not, that's not good enough. And we have so many questions that religion has kind of birthed itself out of as well. Like, where am I going to go when I die? What's going to happen to my loved ones when they die? How do I know my purpose for living here? What's this all about? What's anything about? Aren't those old questions that we have? that we've asked and said, how is this supposed to relate to me? What am I supposed to do? How does this all come together? And we look at this and we see all of these things and we understand that religion was birthed out of that. Many, many religions were birthed out of that and not all of them, not all the religious ways, but think about some of the craziest religious practices that you know and where in the world did they come from? 
Think about some of the craziest things you've ever seen when it comes to witch doctors and the things that they do. Where did that stuff come from? Well, it came to try and answer a question or explain the unexplainable. But Christianity is different than that. See, Christianity was birthed out of an event. It wasn't birthed out of needing an answer to a question because all those questions were already asked. There wasn't any need to explain the unexplainable because all that was already done. When Christianity came along, it was an event that changed the world, that changed everything. And you see, we see all of these things and we'll read in the Bible and as we read in the Bible, we can see these different things and some people say, well, you know, I don't know if that's exactly true. The cool thing is about it, even the story we read today, even the idea of the resurrection, the story of the resurrection, it has a place. If you got on a plane right now, you could be over in Jerusalem that by the end of the day or by tomorrow morning, and you could walk in the footsteps of where Jesus walked. And you could see the things that happened. And you could go to the archaeological areas, and you could see the facts of, yeah, crucifixion was real. And those tombs, they were real. All this stuff was real. And we're going to see here, as we looked in this story, as we look at the disciples who recorded and did some things afterwards, that these guys were real too. You know how we know they're real? We know how we know that Christianity is real more than anything else? Because in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, the Luke, and the John, that record the crucifixion in the life of Jesus, they recorded their doubts. They recorded the things that we wouldn't want known about ourselves. They recorded the idea that they lost their faith, that they scattered when Jesus died, that they doubted that anything was going to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They cowered in fear and they hid because they thought because their leader had died that they were going to die next. It's kind of a crazy thing when we think about it. I mean, even think about that story. You probably heard it a time or two before, but when Jesus had risen from the dead and Peter goes running down there and he runs down to the tomb. How did he respond when he got to the tomb? Did he say, he is risen. He is risen indeed, came back out of the tomb. That, that wasn't it. You know what it was? It was, huh, that's weird. How'd that happen? You know, Jesus had been preaching about it, but none of these guys really understood it. He had said, hey, I'm going to resurrect from the dead. I'm going to come back to life. These guys didn't know exactly what he was talking about. As a matter of fact, old Judaism teaching, the first century Judaism teaching, didn't teach about resurrection from the dead. It taught that you lived a good life, you lived a moral life, you lived for God, and then you died, and that was it. So this was all new. This wasn't some new thing that they were trying to to launch to destroy Judaism. They were tying into it. They were tying back to the same God of it. It's, It's amazing to see how it all comes together. But when... They got there, and Peter looked in the tomb. You would have thought that if they were trying to make something up, he would have said, hey, John, this is what I need you to do. I need you to record this down for me, okay? When we all got here, we actually stood outside the tomb before the stone was broken, and we all counted down from 10, and we went 10, 9, Eight, and we're all holding hands, and we're getting really, really excited. And by the time it hit one, boom, the thing exploded, and we all went, oh, it was just a great immoral. That wasn't how it happened. That wasn't it at all. You would think that if they wanted to lie to us, they would leave out their doubts. Because you know what I want to do? I don't want to tell you about my doubts. I want to be like Facebook and tell you everything is great all the time. I mean, think about that. And that's what, that's what they did here. And the day that it happened, the day that they saw, the day that they had 
been cowering in fear and they had scattered like mice on the day that Jesus was being crucified. Everything changed when they saw that empty tomb. Their attitudes changed. They realized they were serving the living God. They realized what was going on and they went and they started telling people about Jesus. And you know what they told them about? They didn't tell them as much about the fact that what he taught about on taxes. They didn't tell him the fact about what he had taught about, about how to be a, a peacemaker. They didn't go out and they didn't tell about how, even as much about his love. You know what they told about? The resurrection. That is the day that changed everything. That is the reason why Easter is so much more than just a religious holiday. It is an event that changed the world, a real event that changed the world. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles with you, open to the book of Acts chapter 3. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, there's a Bible app on your phone called YouVersion. You can use, you can follow along with what we're doing. Or right inside this door over here, we have some Bibles sitting on the table. I'd love for you to follow along as we go through the book of Acts, chapter 3. And as we look at it, I want you to see some things. I want you to see the idea of this being a real, true story. See, it takes place in a place called Jerusalem. You guys know where Jerusalem is. You guys have seen it on a map before. You've seen it on the news. It seems to be on the news quite often. And not only is there Jerusalem, there's archaeological facts that people existed. All these names you can Google. And as you Google them, it'll tell you who they were, where they were. You can even go and find pictures of, of the bones of Caiaphas and Annas and these people that we're going to talk about because they saved them in a box and it was inscripted and it was kind of a weird thing, but that's what they did back then. And you can see all of these things and that this is a real deal. And all the thing you need to notice is, is as we read this, you're going to see these guys talking about Jesus. Well, everybody there knew about Jesus because it was about 50 or 60 days after the resurrection, after the crucifixion and resurrection, that all of this took place. So they understand, they know, this is Jerusalem where everything took place. It's not like they had to see it on CNN. They all saw it firsthand. So put yourself in that mindset as we read this together. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here it is up on the screen as well. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple. That temple, that's the big temple in Jerusalem, basically the epicenter for all of first century Judaism. It's where everything took place. Everything happened here. It says it was at the time of prayer, which is a very important note to, to make, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Now, the first century people that they're telling the story to, they're going to understand this. They're going to understand the temple gate called Beautiful. They're going to see it. They're going to understand it. It's a real place. It's a place where they probably hung out before. Maybe they had a picnic. I don't know. They got everybody together, and this is a real place. So they understand the temple gate called Beautiful beautiful. And it says this, it says where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, why would they put him there every day? What would be the point at putting him at the temple gates every day? Well, the point is, is because if you're going to beg, who do you want to beg from? The people who are going to give you something. When I went to Ethiopia, they went and they had all the beggars in the areas where the Americans and the tourists were going to be at because they knew the tourists and the Americans had money. Okay, that was one thing. Then you also take a look even here. You drive on Paseo and I-25. You're sitting there in traffic. Somebody's standing there holding a sign. Why do they stand right there? Because they know that you're going to give them something because there's lots of traffic. There's lots of people. Well, guess what? There's lots of traffic and there's lots of people at the Temple Gate called Beautiful. And not only is there lots of traffic and lots of people, but these people are supposed to be religious people. These people are supposed to be merciful 
And if they're going to be merciful, they're going to give stuff. So that was the whole idea of it all. And so we move on to the next verse, verse 3. It said, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he did what any beggar would do. He asked him for money. Peter looked straight at him and as did John, and Peter said, look at us. Well, that was mistake number one for Peter, okay? Because what's the one thing you do if you don't want to have to give a beggar money? You do not make eye contact, exactly. You always look ahead. You're sitting up a sale, and, and, and you're getting ready. To, you're just like, please, God, just let that light turn green before that guy looks at me. That, that is your thinking, okay? I'm just being real honest with you. And that is the way it is. And as you're sitting there, you're waiting for it to go. But Peter says, look at us. So the man gave him attention. Why? Because he expected to get something from them. Real simple, real easy. So he, he engages in this conversation with this beggar. He engages with them, and they're locked on, and they're eye contact. This guy's waiting for something. Look what Peter says. Silver or gold I do not have. Imagine the disappointment on this guy. Oh, I thought for sure these guys were going to give me something. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, that is a huge statement right there because, like I said, it's been 50, 60 days or so since Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Now, crucifixion was for sure. They all knew that. Resurrection was still being thrown around as a myth or a possibility or something like that. They didn't know what was going on. They'd heard stories. These crazy disciples were saying things. The, the Jewish leaders were saying something completely different. And so there's all this stuff going on. But people knew the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The people that also were walking in next to him kind of went, what was that? And the, and the beggar was like, huh? And it says this, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, we can just read over that verse sometimes. We can just say, hey, yeah, walking, jumping, praising God. Well, guess what? I watched every one of you guys walk in today. You know what none of you did? Nobody was jumping and nobody was dancing and nobody was praising God. Why is that? Because that'd be weird. That's why. Okay? If you guys came in here, everybody would be like, what's going on with that guy? Well, guess what happens in this story? Exact same thing. Remember what time it was? It was a time of 3 o'clock in the afternoon and a time for prayer. Well, guess what you don't do when you're walking to a prayer meeting? Boo! You know, you're, not, you're not doing that. That's not what's going on. So he's going to get some attention here. And as he's getting some attention, we see what happens in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who was sitting and begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Because first they went, what's that guy doing? And then they went, wait a second, isn't that that same guy that since birth has been crippled? How, how's this, what is, what's going on here? You know, the funny thing is they're probably walking in and they're walking into this prayer thing and anybody who gave many attention was like, I'll pray for you, brother. Don't worry about it. You know, that's probably what they would say to him. And then they would go in and pray, but they didn't really expect anything to happen. Now they turn around and their prayers have been answered that this guy is walking and bouncing around and praising God and they're trying to figure out why he's doing that, first of all, and second of all, how he's doing it. It's kind of a crazy thing. Look at verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and they came running to them in this place called Solomon's Colony once again a real place. They're telling the story. They're laying it out there saying, this is how it all happened, all within walking distance of where the crucifixion had just taken place 50, 60 days before. Crazy to think about. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? 
Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Verse 13, he introduces something. He ties it in by saying, I'm not trying to give you something completely new. I'm bringing it back to that same God, that same God you're going in to pray and worship to right now, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of our fathers. Tying it all back together, bringing everybody back to this very point. And in that point, he says this, that God, that God of Abraham, that God of Isaac, that God of our fathers, all of us together, has glorified his servant, Jesus. They all went, oh, wait, there's that Jesus name again. That Jesus name. Now, he easily could have said, because you've got to think, all the people that are in this temple, all the people that are sitting around, they've, they've walked with Jesus. They've experienced Jesus' teaching. They might have sat at the Sermon on the Mount. They might have gone out and seen that feeding of 5,000. They might have seen all these things. And they very easily, Peter and John could have very easily tied it back and said, hey, remember that guy that fed you guys with five fish and, and a couple of loaves of bread? Remember that? Yeah, that's the guy we're talking about. That's the guy who was glorified. He could have said, you know, that guy that taught on love. And we're supposed to love our neighbors and, and also love our enemies. That guy that taught about taxes. That guy that talked about being a peacemaker. That's the guy we could talk about. But you know what they do instead? It's really kind of funny. Kind of funny as you look at it because he goes right into what we call the how to win friends and influence people speech. Okay? He says this. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. It's nice, isn't it? Makes you feel nice and warm. I mean, he, he's just making a real nice connection with people. Look at, look at 14 here. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer by the name of Barabbas be released to you. You killed the author of life. You think people have maybe had a little bit of bitterness all of a sudden start to boil up inside here? But God raised him from the dead. Going back to that resurrection thing, that resurrection message, that event that changed the world. And it says, we are witnesses to this. Not only did we experience something, but we saw it and we witnessed it. And we didn't just hear the stories. We were there at the empty tomb. Nobody stole the body. Plenty of evidence, even still today, that says that didn't happen. He says, this is where it's at. We saw the resurrected Christ. We are witnesses to it. And he says, you know, this event has made us more bold, more courageous to go out. Because not only did you crucify him, you could have crucified us. But we saw what the end result was, and that is the resurrection that changed everything. And that's the event that we celebrate today, Easter. And you have to understand, it's not about trying to explain the unexplainable. It's not about trying to answer the unanswerable. It's not about trying to fill that religious gap. This is an event that changed the world because he had risen from the dead. Look what happens if you skip down to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because of the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming what? What message were they proclaiming? Jesus had resurrected from the dead. Jesus had resurrected from the dead. So they just wouldn't stop talking about this resurrection. I think that the chief priests and all the elders wouldn't have had a problem if they were just teaching about Jesus' love. Or if they were just teaching about these little things, about the messages that Jesus had taught, and just trying to carry that on. Because they pretty much figured that, well, since we killed the leader, the movement will eventually die. This is only 50, 60 days later. It's going to happen. It will eventually die. But they started teaching about this resurrection of the dead, and it didn't make them happy. Look what it says, verse 3. 
they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message, what message is that? The message of love, the message of peace, the message of joy? No, the message of the resurrection. The message of the resurrected Christ. Many who heard believed. So the number of men and women grew to about 5,000. 5,000 believers in 50 days. We've been a church now for four years. 5,000 would have been nice to see in 50 days. That would have been pretty cool. But that's how it all got started. That's how it all happened right here is because it wasn't simply because of the teaching of Jesus. It wasn't just because of the teaching on love because it, it wasn't just that. It was the fact that he answered his critics. He, what he taught, he also lived out. And he died as he lived it out and he raised again because of it. It's, it's crazy to think about. And they all believed that he rose from the dead. They'd all seen it. They'd all been there. And 2,000 years later, we're sharing the same story. And we're celebrating the same thing on this event. Not something to fill in that gap, but something that actually happened. But why did it happen? We'll get to that. Verse 5. Next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. And all these people, like I said, you see these names? You can Google them. You can find out all the information about them. These are real people. It says, Annas the high priest was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? So they just kind of open up a door. They just kind of open up a door by asking that question. It's kind of funny because you see Peter and John. And they, as we'll see in verse 13, were looked down on as unschooled, ordinary men. Basically, these guys aren't our equal. But we're going to figure out how they proclaimed this miracle for this guy to walk. Everybody knew he was lame, and then everybody knew that he was dancing around. Something happened. How did it happen? What did you do? By what power are you calling down this stuff? Because we know that you couldn't do it on your own because you guys are unschooled, ordinary men. So this is what Peter does. Verse 8. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today, For an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed. So if this whole conversation, if what you really want to know about is how we healed this guy. If you arrested us and put us in jail overnight just to find out how we healed this guy, here it is. Here's the whole deal. Verse 10, know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Once again, they knew that name. Whom you what? crucified these are the same people who crucified jesus literally had him crucified literally said it's on you this is you which means at the same time they could turn around and say hey john peter we don't like what you're saying blasphemy you're crucified too so they're standing up bold in front of these guys that's how much they believed goes on from there says that jesus christ of nazareth whom you crucified but whom god raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. It's by the name of Jesus. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. You have to think, at the risk of their lives, at the risk of their reputation, at the risk of everything that is, their liberty, they could have been arrested for any of these things they said. They stood up and had this boldness. How did it change from 50 days prior when they were hiding and they were scared? What's the one thing that happened that changed them? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why Easter is much more than just a simple religious holiday. 
a religious event. And the craziest thing is, is they throw out something here that is so narrow-minded, so Christian. The thing, intolerant, maybe would be a good word for it. The things that Christians get labeled for, they lay out right here in this very passage, in this verse, as they are talking to these high priests, these elders. Listen to what they say. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do you hear that? Do you hear what Peter and John have equated the resurrection to? That salvation is found in no one else. No other name under heaven by which we must be saved. They are laying out the fact that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Guess what? You go back and you look at some of the writings and some of the things that were said about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He already said that about himself, but somehow or another, they missed it. Somehow or another, they weren't fully grasping it. But all of a sudden, after the resurrection, after this had happened, they got it. That Jesus had died for the sinners of the world. That Jesus had gone before to defeat death so that we could have life. It's the same message then as it is today. 5,000 people believed right then. And that was 5,000 men, so I shouldn't say 5,000 people because they didn't count women and children back then. We talked about that last week. So how many people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because these guys were bold and they're preaching the same message as we do today? They're preaching the same message. And the crazy thing is, is that the leaders saw it. The leaders saw that courage that they pray, that as they preached. It says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It wasn't somebody trying to start something new. It wasn't new followers. It was guys who had been with Jesus, who had walked in the footsteps of Jesus, who had heard the teachings who were along the way the entire time, and they realized who Jesus was. You know what that unschooled, ordinary men means in the Greek? It's actually the word idiotis, and I bet you can guess what they actually were calling them. Just somebody in the King James Version at some point in time wanted to be nice, so they didn't call them that. They called them unschooled and ordinary. But these guys weren't that smart. How could they possibly be preaching this message? How could they possibly be right here? It's because Easter is bigger than a religion. Easter is bigger than trying to fill in this gap. Easter is an event that changed the world because Jesus came and died for us and he resurrected from the dead to defeat death so that we could have life. And for 2,000 years, that same message has been going on. Today, as we celebrate Easter, I want to share that same message with you. That if you do not know that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, that you just see Easter as a religious holiday. Trust me, I have been there. I walked in those shoes. But when I realized that it was so much more than just an event to have to go to church and to have to dress up. By the way, I, I'm wearing a tie today um, for the first time just to show you that I do own one. Uh, but the... You, you have to think how many people are packing into church buildings that are just doing it out of obligation, but it's so much more than an obligation. It is us celebrating Jesus Christ and the life and the death and the resurrection. You know, I said at the beginning that Christmas gets 
a month worth of music. And they get a month worth of all of the preparation. But you know what? Easter gets every day of our lives. Every day. Because if you listen to a Christian song, the songs we sang this morning are the same songs that are on the Christian radio stuff. You know what? That is proclaiming what happened at Easter. The resurrection and salvation that comes because of it. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you were just exploring Christianity and saying, oh man, that sounds so narrow when it says salvation is found in no one else. Well, guess what? It is narrow. Yet it's offered to everyone. You and me included. I'm going to step over into this room while we sing our next couple of songs. And if, if you have any questions, if you have any doubts, if you're curious about what Christianity is, if you're curious about what salvation is, I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. I want to guide you as best as I can. Because guess what? I'm just an unschooled, ordinary man, just like Peter and John. So I might not have all the answers, but at least I can point you in the right direction. Or I can find somebody who does, because there's probably a lot of people in this room that are a whole lot smarter than me. I'd be like, go talk to him. He's way smarter than me. You know, that, that could be definitely it. But please understand that Jesus died for you, and that is what Easter is about. That is what it's about. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you gave him as a sacrifice for our sins. As a sacrifice to be the mediator between us and you because we couldn't come to you because we are not able. We are sinners. We are not holy like you and you call us to be that in order to be in your presence. And there's only one way for that to happen is to have somebody take our place and wash our sins away. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now we're thankful for that. And I pray for anybody that's in this room that is struggling with that. Whether they've been a Christian a long time or a Christian just a short time or hasn't even heard this message ever before, whoever it might be, there's struggles along the way. And we understand that. But God, that's why you've given us your word. That's why you've given us people in our lives to help us through those struggles. And I pray for anybody that's in here that's going through that right now. Maybe there's somebody in here that's looking at that question of what's going to happen when I die? That unanswerable question that, that even religion can't do, but God, you can. You can answer that. We know exactly what's going to happen when we die if we know your son, Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior. So God, I pray that today. And I pray that you are speaking to hearts and minds this morning. And it is your powerful name that we pray. Amen.